First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. They said, Michael, you know, we pray for you people in America all the time. I said, why is that? We don't really have as much as you do, but we know how much much more difficult it is to be a Christian in America than in Russia. He says, you have all these distractions and preoccupations. That's the voice of Michael Johnson, president of the Slavic Gospel Association, and our guest on this edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and you'll hear my conversation with Michael coming up. But before we get to that, let me take this opportunity to say thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for supporting First Person. FEBC's ministry reaches deep into 50 countries of the world, using radio and other forms of new and social media to reach people with the gospel in their own language. There's a wealth of information about FEBC available online, so please visit febc.org for the latest update. The Slavic Gospel Association has a long and storied history which began during the brutal era of Joseph Stalin. Today, the ministry continues meeting the challenge of sharing the gospel and helping build the church in all the countries of the former Soviet Union, a task made even more difficult with Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine. Michael Johnson, the president of SGA, begins by tracing the history of Slavic gospel and its founder, Peter Dynica Sr. Peter grew up in a small village in Belarus, and um, uh, at the time, this was back in the early 20th century, uh, there was a there was a famine. Uh, many people were dying. Uh, he was they were losing family members. So his father, out of desperation, when Peter was either fourteen or fifteen years old, put him on a ship and sent him to the United States so that he could secure employment uh, and send money back so that the family could survive. And so he ended up uh, in Chicago, and he had connection to uh, some some Russian immigrants that were living there. And he settled in, got a job, and uh, was able to begin to send money back, and the family certainly appreciated it. Um, But um, uh, the Lord then began to work in his life, and he directed Peter to some folks from the Moody Church. All right. And um, and they invited him to church, and um, he was very stubborn about it, uh, (laughs) but he just kept coming, and... And they witnessed to him, and uh, eventually the the Holy Spirit worked in his heart, and he repented of his sins and came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they began to grow in his faith. So, um, so uh, he went to seminary, um, uh, was a pastor, and a number of years later, in 1934, when the uh, persecution began to uh, increase against the Christians. Was this, this the Stalin era? Yes, it would have been the Stalin era. And uh, the persecution was ramping up in the 30s. Um, the Lord touched his heart, and he started this ministry, uh, interestingly, with um, uh, a number of individuals uh, from a group called the Christian Businessmen's Committee. Oh, yes. That yeah. had been established in Chicago, uh, I believe, in 1931. So, which is interesting to me because I was saved at a CBMC meeting in Santa Monica, California. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it's an interesting little connection. Yeah. But, um, uh, so, we, the initial f- uh, focus of the ministry was the covert distribution of Bibles and Christian literature uh, in, throughout the Christian community in the Soviet countries. 
But also we developed a radio ministry in partnership with uh, ministries like, you know, FEBC and Transworld Radio mm-hmm. and HCJB. Some famous voices came from that part of the world and uh, broadcast back to that part of the world, oh, didn't absolutely. they? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, so we we developed uh, produced all, the Russian language uh, programming uh, that was broadcast uh, through those networks and uh, broadcasted to to people who would listen to it on shortwave radio in their attics and in their cellars um, uh, because if they were to be caught by the KGB they would have had real problems yeah uh, many of them would have been uh, carted off and and killed as a result of um, uh, their violation against the state so. Uh, so and so, right around the time when I think the the Soviet government said that they were going to eradicate all forms of religion uh, from their country and put the last Bible under glass in a museum in Saint Petersburg, we really ramped up our Christian radio programming uh, where it was running uh, literally twenty four hours a day, seven mm-hmm. days a week. Through the years, I remember voices like Alex Leonovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Nick Leonovich's brother, yep. and and there were others, many others as oh, well. Yeah. But those are two names I remember. And I remember as a teenager hearing Peter Dynica preach at a church in Detroit, Michigan, Ukrainian Baptist Church. <laughs> I was just a young person in a youth group that was uh, taken to the church that yeah. night. I remember hearing Peter Dynamite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never met him, um, but I've certainly heard the stories. Um, his daughter Ruth is still alive, hmm. and uh, so I talked to her. Uh, fairly regularly, and um, and she's just a wonderful person, and and um, she shares with me a lot of the uh, stories of the old days. And one interesting story that she shared with me was that in the aftermath of World War II, we had a significant ministry among the um, Russian immigrant populations in Europe, and um, the Nazis had come into villages in in, in Russia and Ukraine. And would kill most of the people off, but then they would uh, identify the able-bodied individual, and they'd put him in trucks, and they'd send him to Germany so that they would work in the factory to manufacture arms in the war effort against their countries. Mm-hmm. So when the Germans lost the war, uh, these individuals who were considered to be refugees couldn't return to the Soviet Union because of their exposure to the state, and uh, Stalin would have probably executed them. So um, they ended up in refugee camps. And so the Slavic Gospel Association went into those camps and ministered to those people, both in word and deed, and many of those people came to faith in Christ. And and that was a really interesting story when I heard it, but for me, everything has come full circle because that's what we're doing now yes, as well yes, with, yeah. the, uh, with the refugees yeah, from the, Ukraine. In the time that we have, I wish we could uh, delve into the whole um, post-Soviet Union uh, ministry, but th- that, was, that has carried on all these years. Mm-hmm. And now comes almost a third phase of this ministry, and that is the post-invasion of Ukraine and what's going on in that part of the world. Now, what is Slavic Gospel Association doing today in that part of the world? Well, briefly, um, when the wall came down, you know, we shifted our strategy, and we exist to serve the churches, the the evangelical, the Baptist evangelical churches of the former Soviet Union, helping them in training their pastors, helping them in sponsoring their church planters and sending them out into previously unreached towns and villages, and then equipping them for ministry across across a wide variety of different categories, orphan ministry, children's ministry, compassion ministry. And um, so, we're connected to roughly 6,000 churches across the former Soviet Union. That's astounding. It is astounding. It really is. And uh, in Ukraine, there's roughly 2,500 churches. So, uh, we had been 
uh, working with the leadership of the Ukrainian Baptist Union, uh, they had um, anticipated that this invasion was going to take place. So they had to put their plans in place in terms of what they were going to do. So one of the first things they did was that they shifted their headquarters from Irpin uh, to Lviv. So they moved the staff to Lviv so that they could be out of harm's way, if you will, because they anticipated that uh, the West was going to be safer. Yeah, Lviv is far in the western part of Ukraine. Yes. Hasn't gone untouched, but it's safer. That's correct, yeah. 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 But then they knew that there was going to be a significant humanitarian need. And um, and so for us, we are connected to many, many, many churches in Ukraine. So when the invasion took place, we had been working in eastern Ukraine you know, in the war zone uh, since 2014 and ministering in that region, which is a real hot spot right now in terms of the war. But um, uh, there were, when the invasion took place, we were able to connect to these churches. We would transfer funds to the churches. They would be able to go, in most cases, to purchase food and humanitarian aid and resources so that when people, displaced people would come to their churches, they were able to yeah. minister to them. The, this is a, part of the strategy. You, you want the churches to be the ones who are ministering to their own people. Yes, because they're there to minister to them both in word and deed. And and in 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 one sense, um, there was kind of like an underground railroad being formed where where displaced people were coming uh, from the east and making their way across Ukraine to exit the country in the west. And, you know, the churches were sort of stopping points along the way where they could come and, you know, get fed and get ministered to and spend the night and move on to the next church. Mm-hmm. So, um, it... Um, it, it, it's really quite a ministry. So we, had, we, we were able to, able to have access to churches all across those countries, no matter, no matter where they were. We also have a ministry, a part of the, the other part of the ministry is that we are working with the po- Polish churches, uh, and they are ministering to displaced people. We are equipping them with resources to do that. Also, we're equipping, uh, we're working with them to ship trucks of humanitarian aid into Ukraine uh, for distribution through the churches as Wonderful. well. But the other thing is that there are a lot of, because we serve the churches, uh, there are a lot of, millions of people have made their way across the border into Russia. So there's a, a tremendous need among that population. So we are equi- equipping Russian churches to minister to displaced people that's, as they that's work. That's kind of an untold through. story, I think. Uh, talk more about what's going on there. Well, uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't get a lot of attention, but I mean, displaced people are displaced people, and mm-hmm. and they find themselves in a situation where they don't know what's going to happen to them in the future. Uh, they don't know what their fate is. There's a tremendous amount of fear. They've lost everything, and now they find themselves in another country, and they don't and they don't know what's going to happen to them. So, uh, so the church is there to connect with them, to pray with them, to share the gospel with them to meet their physical and spiritual needs, and uh, it really is a comfort to them. Mm. And we have seen many, 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 many people come to faith in Christ as a result of the ministry of those local church workers. And so, obviously, there are political issues and political, obviously, political differences between, you know, the Russians and the Ukrainians, and there's political difference among most of the countries over there. But the, but the main thing is lifting up the churches to be lights in those communities so that people know that there is a God mm-hmm. and that they know that there is hope mm-hmm. you know, in the midst of this horrible set of circumstances. Um, how, how do you pray for, for our Russian friends and believers? Well, we pray that, first of all, that God would protect all the churches, no matter 
no matter what country they're in. Um, and the other thing is that I, I, I just keep thinking back at what happened to those believers in those churches during the years under communism. Yes. So those churches are being built upon a foundation of great sacrifice um, in the blood of the martyrs. Because every family, every church has a story of somebody that was taken away and killed for their faith. So these are really committed believers, and these are very courageous believers. Mm-hmm. And um, so we pray that God will, would continue to equip them with resources so that they can minister to these people, but also that, that God would direct them to individuals in whose hearts God has opened for the truth of the gospel, so that more and more people might hear, respond, and come to faith in Christ. If there's any hope in this situation at all, with all the enmity that exists, it's the gospel. It's Jesus, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that is what those churches, those faithful churches that were persecuted for so many years, that's what they are committed to. And yes, there are some, uh, there's obvious issues between the you know Russians and the Ukrainians, but the thing that kept them strong during the years under communism was unity. And that's the thing that they work on now. Even though there's, you know, there's, there's differences from a political standpoint, unity still is vitally important to them because they know that's what's going to continue to get them through. We'll find out more about Michael Johnson and how the Lord led him to Slavic Gospel coming up on First Person. I'm Ed Cannon. The Far East Broadcasting Company partners with First Person because we celebrate the stories of people everywhere who have given their lives to Christ and serve Him. Our broadcasters in 50 countries of the world hear stories every day of people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and who have faithfully been taught God's Word. In addition to First Person, I'm pleased that Wayne and I host a podcast, and we invite you to join us. Listen to Until All Have Heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. My guest is Michael Johnson. Michael is president of the Slavic Gospel Association, uh, a ministry that goes all the way back to the 1930s, I think you said, and yet is so effective today in the countries uh, that we commonly call the former Soviet Union. I don't know if we'll ever get away from that terminology. I don't know what you... How you refer to it, Michael? But, that's pretty much uh, the that's way pretty much you, it. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about uh, the ministry. We've talked about the situation with the churches in both Ukraine and Russia. I want to talk about you for a moment. Uh, we've known each other for a few years, so I know part of your story anyway. But I'd love to hear how God prepared you for the assignment that you have at Slavic Gospel Association. Now, what what is your background? Well, I grew up in Connecticut and um, a town called South Windsor, and I grew up in the same church that the noted theologian Jonathan Edwards grew up in. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and I did, didn't have any relevance to me at the time, but, uh, and uh, so when I was 19 years old, um, I, I was kind of adventuresome, so I got in a car with some buddies of mine, we drove out to California, and, um, and I kind of liked it, so I stayed. And so I met a biker by the name of Danny Murphy, uh, I was working at a gas station, and so we were talking one day, and he said to me, he said, well, what are you doing tonight? I said, oh, I'm probably going to drink some beer or something. I said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, my wife and I, we got choir practice. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean you got choir practice? This is a biker. Biker, yeah, long-haired, <laughs> wrote a chop dot Harley Davidson. <laughs> and so uh, 
uh, he said, yeah, we got choir practice. I said, oh, why? He says, yeah, we go to church every Sunday. I said, you do? Why? He said, well, that's because we're Christians. And I thought, you know, I was confirmed in the congregational church. I was sang in the choir. And I said, well, so am I. He goes, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, oh, really? He said, okay, um, meet me at this pancake house tomorrow morning in Santa Monica on Wilshire Boulevard. Okay, I'll buy you breakfast. So I showed up, and it was a meeting of CBMC, Christian Businessmen's Committee. Okay, a guy named Tom Brewer was the um, uh, was the preacher, and he was he was going through the book of First Corinthians. I'd never heard Bible teaching like that before, and so I kept going back and going back. And then I attended a church called Calvary Church in the Pacific Palisades, and I gave my life to Christ. Mm. And then um, I needed some training, so there was a Bible institute that was established by a guy named Hal Lindsey that wrote a book called yeah, The Lake Great Planet Earth. The Lake Planet Great Planet Earth, Earth yes, yeah. And uh, he and a bunch of Campus Crusade guys, and he was, he was the, I think he was the UCLA director of Campus Crusade at the time, um, started a Bible school recognizing the fact that there were, you know, many many young people had come to faith in Christ during the Jesus movement but needed training and and nurturing. So, um, so a bunch of guys from Dallas Seminary came and started this school, and I spent a couple of years there, and you know, learned about apologetics. And Francis Schaeffer would come out, and John MacArthur would come down, and and um, it was a really good formative experience for me. So I'll I got see. grounded in the Word, and I went out. And I worked in financial services. I went back to finish my education, my my college degree. And I worked in financial services for a while. Then, my, then I met my wife, and she was an advertising executive, and um, I kind of got that bug. So we moved back to New York City, and I spent 10 years in New York City, uh, three years in Manhattan, uh, seven in the Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn. And um, I worked on, you know, managed the national campaigns for Tide detergent and Tylenol pain medication and, you know, a lot of these big consumer brands. Uh, but we were active in our church, and um, Bob Provost, the former president of this ministry, came and did a missions conference. And that's when I connected with him, and we ended up taking a short-term missions trip to Albania, and God began to open my eyes mm -hmm. into what he was doing in the post-communist world, but I had no idea if there was any connection whatsoever between being an advertising executive and ministry until he called me up, and, said, and after he came to SGA and said, Michael, uh, I have a proposition for you. I said, what's that? He said, we need a professional like you to tell the story about what God is doing through his faithful churches in the former Soviet Union. You had no connection to that part of the world before? No. Before your mission trip? That's correct, yeah. Wow. So that churches and Christians might hear and want to get involved and support it. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so at the t same time... It's, like, it's an old advertising term, yeah, pitch, yeah, it right? Is pitch, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at the same time, I got my dream job offer uh, uh, in New York. And so, uh, so we were at Bob's house, and and um, so we went up, you know he gave us he gave us his offer. So my wife and I went upstairs and and um, looked at the two offers, and there was a big difference. <laughs> yeah, I and bet I, there I was. I said to Aaron, I said, "Well, what what do you think we ought to do?" She said, "I, I said, well, I th I think if we turn down the ministry job, we're being disobedient to God." So I, mm -hmm. I said, "I agree with you." And so four minutes later, we came down and accepted it. So okay. So that's how we first came to the ministry, and then I left. Uh, I had to get the kids through school and whatnot, but the Lord was leading me in that direction. Uh, so I was gone for thirteen years. And then when Bob retired, the board called me, and they brought me back as the president. Well, what called you back? What what drew you back? I know it was the spirit, of course. We understand that. But 
What, what went into your decision to come back to Slavic Gospel? I had been consulting with ministries for many years, and so I, I really wanted to take everything that I had learned and apply it to a ministry that I love. And so when this opportunity came up, um, I knew that the God, God's hand was in it because the way that they wrote the job description, they needed somebody to lead the ministry, but it's a, it, it was a well-run ministry at the time. Mm-hmm. But they needed somebody that knew how to raise money and resources so that we could invest in those churches to do more. Yeah. And the Lord has really blessed our work in that area. Isn't it just like the Lord to, to prepare you those years in New York with the experience and to bring you together with this organization that had the need that you could supply? Yes. Everything that I've done in my life has led me here. And uh, there's just no question about it. Mm-hmm. And. You know, God is, if we submit ourselves to God and his leading in our lives, and he'll direct our paths, right. and he directed it right back to the ministry, and the one thing I like is I was my commute was an hour and a half, now my commute's five <laughs> minutes, so that's pretty good. But <laughs> Shorter commutes are always yeah, good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, but, but it's got to be humbling, isn't it? It is. To, to serve the church the way that you serve the church in a... This is in a particular part of the world, the former Soviet Union countries, a, a troubled part of the world, especially right now. Mm-hmm. And yet you rub elbows and you come alongside and you encourage them, you equip them, you know their hearts, you pray with them. That's got to be very humbling. I just feel privileged just to carry their bags. And we just love those, we just love those people. I mean, they're just committed and courageous and, and they're godly people. And... You know, their their lives are consumed with, you know, preaching the gospel and expanding his kingdom throughout those countries. And I talked to those guys, and, and one of them said to me that, uh, yeah, they said, Michael, you know, we pray for you people in America all the time. I said, why is that? He said, well, because we know how much much more difficult it is to be a Christian in America than in, in Russia. He says, yeah. you have all these distractions and preoccupations, and, you know, your kids grow up, one lose to California, the other one's in New York, and your <laughs> jobs are more important than your families, you know? Yeah, sounds familiar. And so, and the, and so what they said was, that we don't really have as much as you do, but but it gives us an opportunity to focus on what God has called us to do. Yeah. And uh, so... I think about that a lot. And we have much to learn from them. We do. We do. Yeah, because Jesus said, because I was persecuted, you'll be persecuted. We've not been persecuted. They have been persecuted. They've been branded enemies of the state. And even today in the Central Asian countries uh, where we work, um, when we can get in, I mean, we we can get resources there, but it's hard to travel in some of those countries. There, There's a lot of restrictions. So... Thank you, Michael, and thank you for being obedient to the call. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. We will place links to the Ministry of the Slavic Gospel Association on our homepage, firstpersoninterview.com. Take the time to learn more, including how you can pray and give to support what is being done, even in a time of war. Again, go to firstpersoninterview.com. When you visit our website, you'll also discover that we archive each of these weekly interviews for listening at any time. And in addition to that, we have a well-designed smartphone app, which is free to receive and will allow you to download interviews for listening on the go. Just visit your app store and search for First Person Interview. Next time, author and speaker Carol Kent will be our guest. Carol will update us on her son who is in prison and continues to be a witness for Christ in a difficult place. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next week for First Person Interview.